Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Come on, let's give it up for the dads. Man, we honored that you are here today, and uh, you'll be getting some donuts on your way out. Um, maybe you got it on your way in. I hope you got them on your way in and on your way out. Um, that's, that's the way we eat. Um, you guys all right? All right, okay, making sure. So good to have you here today. Um, I do want to start out just by reiterating something that I kicked off last week about Peru. We are partnering with Peru uh, for at least one year, and we have a booth set up today. Bill Weichel is out there. He's been connected to Peru and and what uh, is going on there since 2011, and also Missy McCoy is here. She's been uh, serving there since 2007. Uh, and so she was uh, here and, and working the booth and, and answering questions. And there's a lot of ways that we can serve in Peru with the, the two different villages um, that we'll be ministering in, the construction of church buildings. Uh, one of the church buildings was completely destroyed by a flood, and we know a lot about floods. So that's, that's a way we can serve. Some of the other things that's going on there is children's ministry and vacation Bible schools and even helping students that are connected to gangs or affiliated with gangs, getting them out of that. And so there's a lot of ways that you can make a difference, not just regionally, in our community, but make a difference globally. So there is a missions trip coming up in August. It's not too late to get signed up for that. All the info is out there. So I just want to encourage you to stop by the booth. And if you, if you have a heart for missions, uh, even if you don't, it would be good to just step in faith, right? Uh, are you thankful to be part of a church that's impacting our community and our world? So we, we're just asking that you would help us out with that in any way possible. Um, Again, thank you for being here. We're going to dive right into part three of Bitter to Better. And in this series, we've been using the book of Ruth as a backdrop to talk to you about moving from bitterness to getting to a healthy place. That's why we're calling it Bitter to Better. In the first week, we talked about there is a miracle in your mistake. Last week, we talked specifically about how to respond to a bitter season. Today, I want to call this message, Not Going Back. Hit your neighbor and tell them, I'm not going back. This story involves a family that lived in Bethlehem, Judah. We know Bethlehem means word. Judah means praise. Their life revolved around a worship experience. They had a devotional life. They were, it, it represents people that are in love with God. But they, they left Bethlehem, Judah, left the word, left praise, and they went to a place called Moab. Moab means idol or lazy, all right? So they go there, and after 10 years, it has taken a toll on the family, so much so that all the men that, that are on this journey, the two sons of Naomi and Elimelech are dead, and Elimelech himself, are dead. he's dead. And so all you have left are Naomi, Ruth, and Orpha. They're the only ones left because it has taken a toll on them. And I just want to say here, when you get out of the presence of God and out of the Word of God, um, nothing good ever comes from that. 
Nothing good ever, ha- ever happens. When we drift away from God's presence and his word, nothing good happens. We, we know that the wages of sin is death. It's the only check that sin writes is death. And so we have to understand the magnitude of that. And, and, and the magnitude of it is, is that Naomi, after 10 years of being in Moab, when she comes back, we'll read it in a minute, when she comes back, the people don't even recognize her. And I think sometimes we don't realize how far we have drifted from the things of God until we come back into the presence of God. And it's like an, oh my goodness moment. I have drifted a lot. Have you ever found yourself where you have drifted? Anybody other than me? All y'all holy people, I know. But sometimes we drift and we don't even know how far we have drifted. The good news is, is that you can get back to a healthy place you can get back to a place where the Word of God and the presence of God is a priority in your life. When they get back to Bethlehem, Judah, some of you are like, when's he preaching? I'm preaching, (laughs) all right? And we'll read in a second. When they get back to Bethlehem, Judah, um, they're, they're about to meet a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. The thing about Boaz is, is that not everyone gets to meet him. But once you do meet Boaz, when, when, they, when they connect with him, they receive an inheritance because of what Boaz is able to do for them. And it, it, it's a picture of coming into the full inheritance that God has for you. And so I'll say it like this. God didn't save you so that you could attend church and sing songs. He saved you so that you could have an intimate relationship with him, so that he could give you principles, he could give you keys to the kingdom, so that you, you could learn how to bind and loose, and, and you, could ha- you could live the abundant life. Jesus did not die for you so that you could be miserable. He died so that you could have an abundant life. That, that's why he came and died. Not to live under the curse, but under the blessing. So they, they start this journey back to Bethlehem, Judah. We'll pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 11. It says, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? I'm going to drop down to verse 14. It says, and and, and at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Drop drop down with me to verse number, uh, let's go to verse 19. So, So the two women went went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And verse 20 says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Again, they've, they've been away 10 years. Naomi comes back. Nobody can recognize her because her decisions have taken a toll on her. And I, I want to say again, there is nothing worse than a bitter person. Even if your bitterness is internalized and you think it's not affecting anyone because you have 
pushed it down on the inside, you are still spewing toxins in every environment that you walk into. And so that's why, you know, today, I'm, can I just preach a little bit today and let the chips fall where they're going to fall? All right, we, we, we're going to do it. I think I'm, I ticked a bunch of people off in the first service. So we, I figure that'll happen again. So we're, we're going to dive into this. We, we have, from time to time, we just need a strong word because the Bible says, how will they know? unless God sends a preacher. Sometimes we can't talk to people and motivate people. Sometimes we got to preach and, and, and understand that preaching is meant to expose low-level living and to, and to also help us develop better standards or new standards. That's, that's what preaching is for. So I, I'm just going to dive in and we're going to let it fall where it's going to fall. The greatest way to remove toxicity from your life, to get it out of your life, is not to start something new but it's to eliminate something that's no longer working. And I think sometimes when we're bitter, when we feel rejected, when, when we have things going on on the inside of us, we try to add things to our life to make us feel better. And so we'll, we'll take on a new hobby or we'll add this relationship, we'll add this to our life, thinking that it's going to remove the time. The, the greatest way to develop good culture at work, at church, in your life is not to add things, it's to stop doing what's not working. That's the first thing you got to do. You got to stop doing what's no longer working. When you try to keep something alive that is obviously dead, it will eventually poison you. See, so I've been talking about the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. And this is the reason I've been talking about the anointing is because bitterness is part of the anointing. That's why we read Exodus 30 the last couple of weeks. One of the ingredients to the anointing oil was myrrh, which means bitter. And, and so bitterness is part of the process. But the anointing means divine enablement. Divine enablement. It's when God, uh, he, his presence is on you in such a way that you're able to do something in, in him that you couldn't do on your own. That God gives you. That, that there's a supernatural power on your life. And it, it helps us to, to do things that are really, really hard, but we're able to make it look easy. And, and, and we have to be careful not to think, well, that, that looks easy. The reason it looks easy is because they are anointed to do it. And, and so we, we've been trying to build that understanding over the last few weeks. Um, some people are attracted to certain individuals because of the anointing. And we have, don't ever be attracted to someone because of what they are doing, because what they're doing, that's not who they are. Like, they're not, like, you, you see somebody preaching, you say, man, that's attractive. Well, I, how many know I'm not preaching all the time? Sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to go there. My clothes still get dirty. I still have a bad attitude sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever get in a bad mood? Or is that just me? All right. So, so you, we, have to, we have to separate the two, and, but understand that the anointing is something God produces in your life and increases in your life through difficulty and hardship. You don't get the oil out of the olive until, the oil, until that olive has gone through the press. You, you don't get the wine from the grape until the grape has been crushed. So you, you can't get my anointing because you don't, you don't have my process. I can't get your anointing because I don't have your process. And I said all that to say this, the anointing on your life exists 
because of the seasons that you have walked through. There are giants you have killed. There are battles that you have won. There have been difficulties that you have had to overcome. And all of those things have added to the anointing, to the presence of God that is on your life. Because you drunk your cup of sorrow, you walked through your garden of Gethsemane, and you bore your cross, God puts an anointing on you that will cause you to slide through things that would kill everybody else. But the anointing, the anointing, we, see, we don't like this because we just want to like sit here and sing Kumbaya and the anointing hit us. Not understanding that the bitter season produced the anointing. Not understanding that when you were bitter and upset and mad and, and, and you had to get over it and move through it, that's when God was putting the thing in you that you needed for your next level. That's when God was depositing things. You're mad and frustrated and you're, you're asking God, why is this happening to me? But what you don't see on the back end, God saying, I needed to do all that because I had to press the oil. I had to put you under some pressure so that I could push you to the place I've called you. And we get, we, we get in those seasons and we all get frustrated. We all go through bitter seasons. We all have things that, that we didn't want to go through, but we had to go through them. And so when we look at this, this story, we, we also learn that God, God is, Exodus 30, we know myrrh is part of it, which means bitter, but the, the scriptures, it, it talks in that, that passage about the perfumer. God is the perfumer. He is the one that takes the myrrh, the bitterness, and the cinnamon, the sweetness, to mix it all together to produce the oil that's on your life. He's the one that does that. That's why Romans 8 can tell us that, uh, that God, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So all things work together. If you messed up, it's part of the oil. If you came through a bitter season, it's part of the oil. If you're drinking a bitter cup, part of the oil. When you do things right, part of the oil. When you do things wrong, part of the oil. God uses it all, and he creates the oil or the anointing in your life. So Naomi, Orpha, and Ruth are headed to Bethlehem, Judah, and they are about to, be, about to meet Boaz. And there is an inheritance that they're going to receive because they, they become a part of his family. He's, he's a type of Christ. There is an inheritance that we receive in Christ, not because we were sowing and reaping, but it's because we are part of the family. That we didn't do anything to get it. We're just in the family. So there's an inheritance that comes into our life. We're part of the family. And so they're making their way back from Bethlehem, Judah, word, okay, to Bethlehem, Judah, word and praise. They're trying to get back to there. But they had to leave Moab. Moab means lazy. Hit your neighbor and say lazy. Now, this is where it's, it's going to get tough for about 15 minutes. Can we do this? Jesus, uh, Jesus is never in a lazy place. You will never be anointed to sleep. Lazy people make me crazy. Like, I need medication around lazy people. You cannot find Boaz in a lazy place. He's always doing something in his field. Did you know you are God's field? See, Orpha, though, the scripture is very clear Orpha. 
turns back. She quits. She throws in the towel. She kisses Naomi on the cheek and heads back to Moab, back to the lazy place. Now we're down to two people. We have Naomi and we have Ruth. The circle has gotten smaller. We have to ask, why, why is the circle getting smaller? Because when it, when it comes to being everything that God wants you to be, so few get there. There are a lot of people saved, but very few people living out destiny. Matthew twenty two fourteen. for many are called, but few are chosen. This scripture used to bother me a lot. Like I thought there were two categories. You had the called people and the chosen people. And the chosen people, you know, that's the ones we really appreciate. You just called, you're not that much. But, but it's not two categories. Chosen means accepted. How do I move from being called to being chosen? I accept my calling. When I accept my calling, I step out of the called into the chosen. The problem is not, not very many people are willing to choose their calling. Jesus had to choose his calling in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was about to drink the bitter cup. If there's any other way, if you can get me where you want me, Father, without me drinking the cup, then can you do that? But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. I'm choosing to accept my calling. He went from being called to being chosen. And so we have to go from called to being chosen. The only way to do that is to accept the calling that God has placed on your life. Orpha turns back and Naomi figures out why. She says, you go on back then to, watch this, your gods and your people. There are two things that will keep people from moving forward in their destiny more than anything else. And it's what Naomi recognized here. Go back to your people and your gods. Relationships and your belief system. Relationship, your circle, will either push you into destiny or keep you from destiny. Your belief system will either help you arrive at destiny or keep you stuck in a season you should have walked through. That's why it's, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if I cannot change my mind and if I cannot change my relationships, Boaz will never be in reach. I, I can't get to destiny if I can't change my, my relationships and my belief system. Now, God in Scripture reveals himself in threes, okay? He, he reveals himself as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You and I, we are body, soul, and spirit. When it came to giving, he said a 30, 60, 100-fold return. First Corinthians talks about faith, hope, and love. So God always reveals himself in threes, and the Bible gives us three categories of Christians. It tells us that there are babes in Christ, children in Christ, and there are full adults in Christ. The way we gauge if we are a baby in Christ, a child in Christ, or an adult in Christ is based on our obedience. If we have to be excited to obey, pumped up to obey, or hyped up to obey, we are probably still a baby in Christ or a child in Christ because sheer obedience is the highest form of trust and blessing. In, in other words, when, when you can only obey if excited or pumped up, that is the lowest form of trust and blessing. Sometimes you got to be willing to obey even when it hurts. Sometimes 
obedience, it's the right thing to do, but it's also the most difficult thing to do. And, and so God wants us to graduate from needing a pat on the back every time we do something, to being pumped up to do it, to I'm going to obey just because I want to obey. I, I, I want to grow in my faith. I want to I mature in it. And so Orpha represents babies in Christ. She represents all the people. And it's going to get tough, so just, just hold on. Just look forward. And when it gets really rough, just say, yep, yep, that's for my friend. That's for my friend. All right? I'm going to make them listen to it. She represents all the people who accept Jesus, but that's all they ever do. In other words, we, we want Jesus to save us, but we have no intention of actually changing our lifestyle. We, we want Jesus to save us, but we have no intention of developing a personal relationship with Jesus, a, a devotional life. We want him to save us, but we have no, no interest in finding out the gifts he's given us to use for his kingdom. We have no intention of making a difference, of, of having kingdom impact. We just want to make sure we don't go to hell. Babies in Christ. A lot of people, what happens is they feel bad about what they've done and they've heard about this terrible place called hell. And they respond, they pray a prayer, but then they go back to the way they were living. Bethesda Church is a large church. We're growing, we're reaching people. But the truth is, there have been a ton of people come through the doors that have prayed a prayer and now we can't find them. I'm not speaking to guests today. So if you're a guest, it's not for you. I'm talking about people who have accepted Christ. And we do a lot to make sure people can accept Christ. We're a church where you can belong before you believe. We believe all those things. But we want people to move from being a baby in Christ to a child in Christ to mature in Christ. We, 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 we want, we, we talk about next steps, and, 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 but that's not just a program. That's, we want you to take your next step. We, we want you to grow. And, and, and so we, there's a lot of people, there's been three, to, if everybody who've, who's came here and prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to save them was attending, we would not have enough seats in two services. They would be lined up out there in the lobby. We'd be doing three and four services in this big old building. Because people come, pray a prayer, and then go back to living the way they were living. They just don't want to go to hell. All right? So I, I, I got to talk about this because when I, I, when I was growing up, I grew up in church, Christian home. My parents are awesome people. They love Jesus. They love people. They're, they're hospitable. They love the Lord. But when I was a teenager, my dad accepted the call. He ran from the call of God for 14 years on his life. Like he knew he was called to preach and just did not want to do it. And, and he finally accepted that calling, became a pastor. And, and I, you know, so growing up in church, I, I was around it all the time, but I, I played church a lot. Can I say that? I played church. Like I came and heard the sermons and nodded. And, and you know, I, a lot of times I had no intention of changing. I was going to leave the service and go back to my life. But when I was in college, had just gotten in college, and I went to a revival service, and at this revival service, I remember who was preaching, 
But I have no idea what they preached. I couldn't tell you what they preached about because the whole time they preached, I was, I was just begging that they would shut up so I could go down there and get saved. Like, I just wanted them to stop. I was under so much conviction that I just needed Jesus so bad, and it was just eye-opening for me, and I was just ready to, to, to do this thing. And so I went down, I prayed, and when I got up from that experience, I, I didn't just pray that, you know, God, I don't want to go to hell. God, I, you know, please let me make it in. That's, that's not what, what I prayed that night. I went down there, and when I picked myself up off the carpet that day, that night, it was my tears, my snot, and, and here's what I would tell you. Some of you are grossed out now. Um, no one, watch this, no one called me afterwards. No one followed up with me afterwards. No one brought me banana nut bread. No one gave me a t-shirt, a coffee mug. No one invited me to a next steps class. No one took a picture of me and put it on social media. No one gave me a visit. The encouragement committee from the church did not knock on my door of my apartment. None of that happened, nor did it need to happen. When I got up from that experience, I had not prayed, God, just get me out of hell I prayed a prayer where my heart had shifted and I had opened up my heart to the fact that God had something for me that was way greater than anything I could produce for myself. No one had to invite me back to church. No one had to call me. I didn't need 23 texts to get myself back into the house of God. I was the first one there, the last one to leave, the first one to raise his hands. I, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It wasn't anything external that brought me back. There was an internal fire on the inside that was pushing me back into the presence of God. And I didn't need all that other stuff. And I'm preaching that because we do all that other stuff and we're going to keep calling you and texting you and we're going to do what we can to get you back. But I do have to stop and pause and say, I wonder if people got what I got. Because what I got didn't require anything on the outside. There was something burning on the inside. There was a fire ignited on the inside. And so I began to catch a glimpse of the person Chad Dingus could become in God. I, I began to catch a glimpse of that. And so immediately I had to cut ties from old environments, from old friends, People that continually in the past would bring me back down. And, and listen, nobody had to coddle me. Nobody had to call me. Nobody had to chase me because I was too busy being a God chaser. And that's where, that's the shift that has to take place. People have to get to a place where they don't have to be begged or prodded or pumped up, but there's something on the inside. There, there is something in them. Come on, hit your neighbor and tell them, you don't have to call me on Sunday morning. See how quiet it is? See, I didn't pick and choose what, Sunday, what Sundays I was going to go to church and what Sundays I wasn't. Now we look at the calendar. Well, I can go that Sunday, and I'm going to take that one and that one and that one off. Now, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of God. Listen, you don't know 
all the hell that, that happened in my life in Moab. So there's no way I'm going back. That's why I'm calling this not going back. I'm not going back to all the stuff that held me. I'm not going back to all the things that, that kept me in bondage. See, the, the, the thing is, Bethlehem Judah, word and praise, that's not our, that, it's not most people's norm. Moab is most people's norm. An idle, lazy place. When a real fire burns in a person's soul, it's nothing external that keeps them. It's something on the inside. And I believe that that fire on the inside of you ought to be so strong that if everybody in this church decided they're going to backslide and split hell wide open on purpose, you would be in here all by yourself with your Bible in your lap, your hands lifted, saying, if I got to serve Jesus all by myself, everybody else, they want to go to hell, I'm not going. He's done too much for me. And I believe God is looking for some people like that, some people that are ready to grow. And, and, and here's the problem. Here's, here's the crux of the matter. We're having... A lot of people make apologies and they're, they're, they're saying, God, I feel bad and I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? The truth is God will forgive you. But I have learned that you can ask for forgiveness and continue to live in Moab. Who is the one that is bitter in this story? When you read the story, Naomi's the one that's bitter. She's the one that says, don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. I want you to call me bitter. But it's Orpha who decides to turn back. Naomi's bitter, but Orpha leaves. And the reason is because you think that what's in you is only having an impact on you, not realizing that what's in you is affecting everybody around you. See, you may have chosen to, to, to live with bitterness in your heart but what about the people that have to endure your, your venom all the time? Listen, maybe Orpha wanted to be in the promise, but she's like, I, I can't go to the promise, Naomi, if I got to ride with you. You've asked me to call you bitter. This is the moment, girl, where I'm putting some distance between me and you. I can't hang out with you because what is on you is going to defile me. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Everyone say repentance. There is a big difference between apologizing and repenting. Jesus did not preach that we apologize and we'd get the kingdom. He said, I want you to repent because the kingdom's at hand. John the Baptist did not preach to apologize. He preached repentance the Apostle Paul said, godly sorrow that produces repentance that causes us to change. And so godly sorrow, and it's going to be tough, but the word sorrow there means pain in your mind. <laughs> God will allow you to hurt in your head and in your soul 
to lead you to a place called repentance. A lot of us, we struggle with that. Like some of you are like, oh, he's love, he's love, he's love. He is love. But sometimes love is tough. And sometimes love is, if I don't do something, you're going to go, you're, you're going to go the wrong way. And so God will allow sometimes, we, we don't want to associate God with pain, but, but he is a God that, that will use pain as a motivator. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. It says, um, I may not read all these. We'll read a few of them. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet restrained a bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which, spe- which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. That, that means correction. Don't despise that. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. I want to stop right here. In the King James Bible, I don't want you to think I'm cussing. The word illegitimate, it says in King James, bastard. He says a son who does not receive instruction or correction, that is a bastard child, an illegitimate child. Hit your neighbor and tell him he's not cussing. It's in the Bible. It says the word, all right? Some of you will never recover, I know. What is discipline? What is discipline? It is some form of discomfort or pain to alter behavior. That's what discipline is. When a parent administers discipline, it is to change the direction of the child. You no longer want them going in that trajectory, so you do something. You are trying to alter their direction. God is the same way. He will use pain at times as a motivator. It's not usually God's first resort. He doesn't have to, he doesn't just go to pain to get us to change. God will speak to you, He'll send somebody by, you, by your way to talk to you. He's waiting for you to pray so he can speak to you. He's waiting for you to open up the word so he can speak to you. But how many know some of us are really stubborn? And so because we're stubborn, because we're hard-headed, God will use pain as a motivator to get us to change because some of us would never change without some pain. When we refuse to listen to God, to receive his instruction, there is a digression that takes place in our life. But we need to understand that God's purpose will be done. If you're like Jonah and you say, God, I'm not obeying, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm not doing it, Lord, God's got a fish ready for you. There's not a lot of shouting in this message. Some of y'all are going to be mad for three weeks after this one. God uses pain to alter outcomes when it's not going his way. Orpha has turned back. Naomi and Ruth are headed back. And we learn from 2 Corinthians 7, there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow that keeps you stuck where you grieve yourself to death. That's called worldly sorrow. But there's godly sorrow, which is repentance that produces change. Repentance, here's where the game changer. Repentance is not prayer. 
Repentance is when purpose shifts. There is no such thing as a prayer of repentance. It's not a prayer. It's a shift. The Greek word means a shift in mind and a shift in purpose. Yeah, we pray. We ask God to forgive us. We ask Jesus to come into our heart. But when we get up, there's a shift in my mind. There's a shift in my purpose. I'm not existing for this any longer. I'm now existing for what God has. And the only way for me to discover that is to have an intimate relationship with him. And Paul says that if you really repent, you have a mind shift, a purpose shift, that you, it will not be regretted. In other words, you will eventually reach a place where you look back at Moab and you're not even tempted to go back any longer. Like it's not, you don't wake up every day deciding, I, I gotta serve God again today. I gotta, I don't wake up at this point in my life making a decision to serve God. I already made up my mind. I've already shifted my mind and my purpose. That's not something I've got to do every single day. You, you, you reach a place where you're like, you know, that's not even an option for me anymore. That, that's not a possibility. I'm not going back to that. And so Paul told him, he said, you guys didn't just apologize. You had a real godly sorrow that caused you to shift your mind and to shift your purpose. The reason a lot of people get saved, but then we can't find them, is because they have apologized and they haven't repented. I told you, I told Karen, I was like, this one's tough. I preached it at nine and I don't really feel like preaching this one again. We've all been guilty of saying, God, forgive me with no intention of changing. Am I telling you the truth? All right. No intention to really shift directions. We just don't want to feel guilty. Can I be saved if I apologize? Yes, you can be saved if you apologize, but you can't get the kingdom with an apology. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repentance is what brings the power of the kingdom. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. A son who will not obey his father is illegitimate. And God says, and, and what God's saying there, if, if you're going, and, and, and the King James, I know that that word we said earlier, I won't say it again. Um, that word is strong. It's a strong word. But what God is saying is, he said, if you're going to bear my name, then you are going to bear my ways. Don't bear my name and you still do your ways. He says, and, 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 and the thing you've you got to love about this is that any parent that really loves their children, they correct them. You say, well, the Lord's just, man, he's on me. He's corrected me. And this is a strong word, pastor. I don't like this. God loves you. He corrects those he loves. If God's not correcting you, it just means you're not a son or daughter. You ever been corrected by the Lord? <laughs> That's not a lot of fun, is it? But I can take away from that. He loves me enough to tell me the truth. So Hebrews chapter 12, I'm, I'm, I'm really almost done. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, everybody say root of bitterness, 
That was real weak. Everybody say root of bitterness. All right. Springing up costs trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. I'll stop there. Root of bitterness. The word root in this text means source. Everyone, every person goes through bitter experiences. But you cannot let the bitterness get inside you. There, are, there, there will be more bitter seasons in your life. The, the challenge is, I can't let the bitter season get in my heart. Because God says that, that, that becomes a root of bitterness. The word root means source, which literally tells us something by which everything else grows. When it takes root, everything that I, that I develop in my life, the root system, the source of it, would be bitterness if I allow that in my heart. And so when, when something we've gone through begins to dictate our behavior and our attitude, our personality, all of that, we know that a root system is being developed. And so Paul says, don't let this thing get in you and then one day it springs up. Now, roots can be under the ground for a long time before they spring up high enough for you to see them, right? And so, so Paul's literally encouraging, like, don't let this thing, you need to cut that thing out before it ever springs up. He says, because when it springs up, once it springs forth, that root of bitterness, he says it will defile many. This is the part we miss. It defiles many. It will defile people you love. It'll defile people that love you. It'll defile your children. It'll affect everybody in your circle. The word defile means pollute. Naomi had a bitter root. And Orpha said... I can't even stand to be around you. There's a promise in Bethlehem, Judah, but I can't even go to the promise because I can't stand riding with you. The bitterness in you is polluting me. And so roots are powerful things. They're powerful things. And a lot of times a person with a root of bitterness or a root of rejection in them, everybody else can see it. They can't see it. They don't realize their bad attitude and their mood swings isn't because of stuff going on in there. They got a root of bitterness. And every time they bump into something, that thing comes up. And it, it begins to spew toxic, toxicity into every environment. See, rejection and bitterness, not only does it defile people, but he, he, he says, don't let it spring up because it'll defile many. And, and here's the thing about it. And there are a lot of people, when they have a root of bitterness or a root of rejection, something in them that's been growing that they've been feeding, a lot of times they can't get from people what they need the most. A bitter person, a person that, that has a root of bitterness or, or rejection in their heart, what they may need the most, how I many of they need a hug sometimes. They could use a real hug, like, but, but you, you come, you, you can hug eight people and then you get up to the one that has a root of bitterness and you don't even want to hug them because what's in them would defile you. It ain't even about the hug for them. You're feeding something that needs to be broken. Oh yeah, yeah, it's going real well today. What happens is you start feeding something they should have dealt with and, and, and you're giving them what they want, but you leave empty. 
It's because of a root of bitterness. Have you ever noticed that your greatest need when you have a root of bitterness is the one thing that nobody has the ability to give you? When you see that happening in your life, like I need people to love me this way. I need people to do this for me. When nobody can meet that in you, it's because it's not their fault. It's your fault. There is a root of bitterness that is not only destroying you, it's defiling everybody in your circle. And you have to learn to recognize and examine cycles in your life. Anytime there is a repeated pattern in your life, it shows you where the root lies. If it's a repeated pattern. Some of you are like, what, what are you talking about? It, if you're a person that it doesn't matter how much money you make, you're always broke. How many know that's a pattern? That's a root system. You, you need to identify that. If, if you're the girl who, it doesn't matter. You've had 29 boyfriends and they've all been terrible people. How many know that's a pattern? Like there's a root there. There's a reason why you are drawing the wrong kind of guy. The same is true with bitterness and, and rejection, what we're talking about. That, that, that root in you, will, 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 it will keep people at a distance from you. And sometimes you can't even see it. When you see those patterns, understand that there is a root there that needs to be dealt with. Identify it. Allow God through the power of the Holy Spirit to pull that thing up so that it doesn't spring up and defile people. One last thing as you stand. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. This is one of the strongest words I've preached in a long, long time. You guys still love me because I still love all y'all. I do. I love all of you all. I wouldn't preach this if I didn't love you. Nothing else is supposed to drive your behavior other than the Holy Spirit. If anything is driving your behavior other than the Holy Spirit, you are out of order. Come on, just hit your neighbor and say, this is strong. This is strong. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around for the next few moments. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just do in this moment. I've delivered this the best that I know how. God, I pray that you would help people today to examine cycles and patterns in their life where a root of bitterness could be there, keeping them from enjoying the promises that you have for them, keeping them from enjoying close, intimate relationships. Everything surfaced because of a root of bitterness. I pray, Father, that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that that root would be cut down in your presence today. I pray that you would do in this moment, God, what we've not been able to do on our own. And God, that your people would leave that idle, lazy place. And God, they would run toward the promise of God in their life. I pray, God, that every root of bitterness be broken now in the name of Jesus. I pray every root of rejection be broken in the name of Jesus. 
I pray that thing that has tried to take root and spring up to defile our relationships, that it be plucked up by its roots now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it be broken so that we can enjoy real intimacy with our Heavenly Father and real intimacy with the people that are in our lives, God, that, that, that we don't have to have a surface love because we're afraid to get close because of a root of bitterness, but God, we can have a real intimate relationship with you, Jesus. We can know you and hear your voice, God, and have real authentic relationship with you and others, God. I pray that you do a work in this moment, God, in your presence, God, that we could never do on our own. I ask it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. His hands are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. If you're in this place today and you you say, I'm, I'm not in right relationship with Jesus. I need to be saved. I, I need Jesus to save me, but pastor, I also, I, I, want, I want my intention to be to have a purpose shift, a mind shift. I don't want to live like I've been living. I'm ready to follow Jesus. If that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? I want to follow Jesus. Thanks for this hand. Thanks for this hand. God bless you two there. That hand, that hand, and that hand. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else? That one, God bless you, sir. These two over here, God bless you all. Awesome. Awesome. Come on, church. Come on. If that was your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, some of y'all be running through a wall. We we have gotten too familiar. It's not... I, I may kick something eventually. Man, this is awesome. Somebody give God the highest praise you have all day. These... This is people coming out of darkness into God's light. This is people saying, I'm not going to live for me. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm not going to live in Moab. I'm going to live in a place of praise, in a place of word. I'm going to have a devotional life. Come on, every voice lifted. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, and to cleanse me. I repent of all of my sins. I turn from my ways. I'm picking up my cross, and I am following you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody, give God a praise. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.